what it's become is, you know, we were probably at those uh, uh, in those days getting 100,000 page views a month. Uh, we're now getting about 1.5 million. Um, but what's interesting is we're now the largest original source of transportation news and content. So what we're finding is uh, firms like Reuters and Wall Street Journal and Morningstar are using freight waves as an original source wow. of data and commentary. And so that's got to be wild it. from your perspective. It's completely to, wild to, to see your thing out in the, you know. Well, it never, I never would have. I mean, I got C's in English. That was Craig Fuller, founder and CEO of Freightways, and this is the Startup Show. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are having a great week. If you're not familiar with Freightwaves, uh, they have been an absolute rocket ship startup here in uh, in Chattanooga. After uh, in the past year since raising their seed round, they've uh, gone on to win the Rise of the Rest, Steve Case's uh, venture uh, competition. They have become the largest media platform with over a million monthly visitors uh in the in the trucking and logistics space and have been uh their their content has been used in the wall street journal and reuters and in uh lots of national publications and and they've launched uh bitta the blockchain in transportation alliance which has become an entire entity and project on its own um craig dives into all of that during our interview today but he also really got uh, pretty vulnerable we talked a lot about some of the struggles and deep uh dark points and doubts that he had to work through since um, through some of his uh, failures previously in his career to getting to this point. Uh, We talked at length about the impact of media in the trucking and logistics space, which I know many of you who are listening here in the, the Tennessee area are going to be interested in. And we discussed, uh, we discussed at the end, the impact of blockchain, uh, both on the space and, uh, and in the, in the industry on the whole, some of the applications, some of the potential for it. There's a lot of hype, a lot of questions surrounding uh, blockchain in this industry, and, and and I think probably generally. And so, got a chance to ask Craig his perspective as he is building this entity, uh, Bitta. So, really think if you guys are interested in startups, blockchain, <laughs> doubt, failure, any of these things as it relates to your own careers, this is going to be a very interesting episode for you. And so, without further ado, hope you guys enjoy this interview with Craig Fuller of Freightwaves. All right, we've got Craig Fuller here on the show. Thanks for joining us, Craig. Uh, happy to be here. So I gave the audience a quick uh, intro as to who you are and your background, but just from your own words, give us a little bit of uh, who is Craig. So I, I, I'm Craig Fuller. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm a uh, entrepreneur. I was fortunate enough to grow up in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, my father uh, started U.S. Express, which is a, a large truckload carrier based here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, recently did, uh, the second time they've gone public, they did, recently did an IPO. Uh, so I have entrepreneurial and transportation in my blood. Cool. That's awesome. So I didn't know that your dad uh, started U.S. Express. So you've literally grown up in the business and, and grown up seeing somebody build logistics businesses specifically. That's yeah. Awesome. So my father, uh, my father came home when I was six years old. And told my mother he was quitting his job um, and wanted to start his own company. And my mother panicked because you, you've got three kids and, you know, what are you going to do? And um, he went out and started uh, U.S. Express and uh, was a hard-driving entrepreneur uh, and built and scaled that business. Um, um, and so I learned not only how to uh, be an entrepreneur for my father, but also learned about the ins and outs of the freight business. You know, when you're a 
when you're an entrepreneur, uh, your life is fully immersed in that. And so as a young kid, the way I could spend time with my dad was learning how he worked and what 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 he was thinking about. And I think he enjoyed the opportunity to mentor someone much younger than himself. Sure, that's awesome. What an experience. I'm, I'm sure it's such an invaluable experience to have somebody like that um, to look up to. Now, when you grew up, came up through your career, you've had a very successful career, just looking at your LinkedIn, like it's win after win after win in a lot of cases. Um, and it's uh, in industries that are known for having big, you know, being able to have success, logistics, there's money there, things like that. And if, um, if somebody was trying to pinpoint a few tough industries to break into, one of them would probably be venture backed startups, super, super hard to make successful. And secondly, media, like media is very difficult, especially when you have no media background, which you didn't, right? No, I, I, I never set out to do it. Yeah. So, so, so how did that happen to walk us through that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, venture backed startups, I, certainly have had some successes in my life. I've also had a lot of uh, struggles I mean, as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, the I had a payments business that never really got scale. Uh, we were, uh, at Transguard, we were a, a company that was a really small company inside this massive uh, industry, um, uh, but we were dependent on much bigger companies. When you're dealing with people's money, because that's what Transcard was, was moving money, is people want to have confidence in the business. And so size does matter. Confidence in the business. If I'm going to give you, if I'm going to give you money, if somebody's going to give you money, they have to confidence that you'll be around, particularly in corporate payments. And so it was a struggle. And so I learned, I, I learned the hard way how to be an entrepreneur. I learned what that's like. Um, uh, and it was a b- business that I wasn't familiar with. So we sold that business to U.S. Bank, a portion of it. Uh, I left in 2014 uh, and uh, wasn't ready to go back to be an entrepreneur. Didn't even know what I wanted to do. I I, I joked that I had the you know writers talk about having writers block or artists that can't envision things. And I think for an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. I literally did not know. You know, I have an idea a minute uh, as an entrepreneur now, but in those days, I was in this cloud where I could not. I didn't have the self confidence to go out and do something uh, again, and and didn't have the edge, and so it took about two years for me to kind of figure out where I was, what I wanted to do next. Um, but what was happening is all this capital was being deplore, uh, de- deployed into uh, logistic startups, um, innovation, and I I wanted to to be a part of that. Um, so originally I set out and I actually met with Ted uh, here in town. I got turned down for a job to be an entrepreneur in residence. They weren't interested in having me, which was a little bit of gl- uh, blow to an ego, but uh, it was it was fine. Um, but what that conversation, um, I saw Ted having a lot of fun, and I it was you know on the I went back to Dallas, got on the plane, and I basically wrote a business plan. And I said, this is what I'm going to do: is I'm going to set out and start this futures market based on freight. Um, and that was what I was uh, basically focused on. And so uh, we did that. Uh, when we first, when I first conceptualized the business plan, I didn't know anything about futures. Float Chicago, tried to learn a little bit about it. Uh, but there was this uh, futures market over in London called the Baltic, uh, basically Baltic futures or freight futures. And flew over there, spent about a month, and learned how the futures market works on maritime. And from that, came back to the U.S. and started to develop a business plan. What we found, though, is that the trucking media, the freight media, uh, was unprepared or uncomfortable ru- talking about freight futures and financial products around transportation. It just was a weird concept to them. 
And so uh, we actually contacted PR firms to figure this out, but we also got turned down. We got turned by three different PR firms that said, this is really, really strange, and we just don't think that there's a market for this. Mm. And so we got rejected a lot. Uh, venture capital, I think we talked to over 100 venture capitalists, we got rejected. Just kept getting rejected, rejected. Um, but we we kept on um, and uh, ended up creating, what we realized is to, to create a successful uh, financial market, you need real-time news. If you look at all, like if you look at Wall Street Journal or, or Bloomberg, the, their entire businesses is based on uh, real-time news. And so we started writing about the freight markets uh, the way that Bloomberg would write about commodities or Morningstar would write about commodities. And that's how I got into the media business. So real quick for, for people listening, uh, you've kind of already alluded to it, but what is Freight Waves? Yeah, so Freight Waves is the uh, the largest news and media outlet uh, in freight, first of all. Um, but our core business is we're a data analytics business for freight, the freight markets. And so we look at basically fundamental data. We look at data that um, goes beyond just pricing uh, data, but helps provide uh, predictive analytics of where the freight markets are headed. Uh, we partner with companies, hundreds of companies. We ingest that data and create really a quote-unquote map of the market um, so that people uh, can understand where the market's been and where it's likely to head. So now it seems, obviously, in hindsight, that that's a very plausible and necessary um, business function. What was it that you were running into that you were receiving so many rejections while you were, you know, coming along the path? I, you know, I think it's obvious once you look at it after it's done. But I think, like most most successful businesses, people are cynical of things that are new, and and there's also. A, I think a reality when you see something that's somewhat obvious, there's this kind of gut reaction of, well, if it's so obvious, why hasn't someone done it before? Mm. If it's really that obvious, what makes you so smart that you can go out and create that? And um, we, in many ways, it was accidental for us. We never set out to create a media company. It was never part of our original business plan. In fact, when we raised our series seed, back in um, uh, October of last year, of 2017, it wasn't even mentioned in our business plan. Really, that um, recently? And so we launched the news site in March because it was, frankly, because we couldn't get any PR. Mm. The entire purpose of launching our news site was because the traditional media, the freight media, would not cover our story. Chattanooga Times Free Press wouldn't cover it. We mm. had three different uh, outreaches to the Times Free Press, and they blew us off. And so it was somewhat frustrating because you're like, wait, I, this is a business, and I yeah. don't understand why they can't see the vision for it. Um, but we soldiered on. Um, we got turned on by a lot of venture capitalists. And as we started to get turned down, we realized that fundamentally we weren't communicating our business properly. We weren't talking about a broader vision. Um, in many ways, the business plan that was entirely focused on futures created a binary outcome. Either it's going to be massively successful or it's going to be not successful at all. It's mm -hmm. going to be a failure. And so what we realized is that um, is that we had a voice to the market. People really respected what we were doing on the media side of things. They really wanted data to understand where the freight markets were headed. And uh, we're looking for ways to get access to that data. And so we started to develop a plan around how to deliver that, those data uh, elements. Um, we were able to raise money strictly on futures. We, we did find some venture capitalists that were excited about that business, raised it. They had no idea that we were actually doing media or anything else. 
and it just exploded. And it, it literally was, I wouldn't say it's an overnight success because that's disingenuous to the fact that it took us two years to get there. Yeah. But it, it literally hockey sticked uh, about the time that our uh, seed round closed. It was really strange because yeah. they never expected it. So if you go back and look at it, we, we were 1,700 percent above our original pro forma forecast which rarely happens in, in the vc world yeah. you got raise money you usually underperform your numbers we were 17 times what we gave them wow yeah that's insane in fact most people expect you to underperform and it's kind of built in right like with like understanding nod that yeah they'll get there eventually so that's that's huge they're, they're making these big bets um we we outperformed uh, almost immediately I, I, we closed our round in october and we were already above our numbers by the end of october wow. Uh, and then it just it exploded, um, and then we raised a Series A uh, in June, um, and this being mid-August, we're fifty-two percent above our, our numbers that we gave our, our investors in June. That's wild. So it's, okay, so that's now, and like you said, hindsight is is twenty twenty. Um, but take us back to that gap when you you you've exited um, your previous startup, and like you said, I think it's really interesting and something that I've struggled with. I think. I think it's something that people probably aren't honest about often, but you said, um, you know, you had this track record, but you didn't have the confidence to go start the next well, thing. Well, it's, 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 it's always easy to look and say, this is the end game. Yeah. But, you know, Transcard was not, it was a, it was a successful exit from uh, the perspective of, of able to get some money back to the investors. Mm -hmm. The, the challenge for me was I spent nine to 10 years doing it and I always assumed we were going to be better and we never got there. And I realized at the end of that cycle that I had not figured out how to make the business work. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so when you and it becomes you become self if you're if you're a success I think any entrepreneur is really passionate um, and really driven the business is you you identify with the business your ego is tied to the business and if the business has not had any real level of scale and and levels of success it starts to really, you start to wonder if you're the problem. Mm. And it was the first time, I'd had a lot of successes before. It was the first time I really had to do something outside of the family of sorts. Um, it wasn't, it was a business completely different from my father's business. And so um, it, it was it was very difficult to kind of do, it wasn't a true cold start, but to really kind of go out there on your own. So I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. Mm. Um, I had, I, you know, you go through this kind of mourning process as an entrepreneur where, um, you, you start to kind of mourn, uh, the leaving, letting your kids go, if you will, your baby go to, to, uh, someone else and you start mourning all the decisions you, you made and, uh, become self-defeating. So for, for me, I didn't leave, I wouldn't say I left on a high point. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, it was not my choice to leave. It mm -hmm. was, it was, uh, it was a decision made by, that was really not voluntary and so it's very tough because you things didn't work out the way you expected them. sure but then w how do you take that and and then get said no to a hundred times on this new idea and um and no to by everybody including your hometown newspaper and then <laughs> and, and uh but like what conviction did you have that this was the right i didn't have a choice now? i i i realized so it's interesting so i i left transcard um, and I, 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 I worked for my father's business for a couple of months and sure. I hated that. I just, it, it was not what I wanted to do. It was kind of like going back to 
like I had already graduated high school, I had to go back to, to, to the ninth mm-hmm. grade. In my, in my mind, mm-hmm. and that may not be fair because I think uh, U.S. Press is certainly successful, but in in my mind, I had moved beyond the family. Sure, it's your right personal situation. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it was it was not what I wanted to do, and and so I. I uh, had the chance to to I started to apply for jobs and I hadn't done that in many years and I I I worked but I'm a really bad employee and I didn't realize how hard it is first of all to get a job as a as someone with with a resume that has successes as a CEO as a founder of a small company people don't there the jobs are very difficult to come by because CEO jobs are not um they're not they're not something you apply for and jobs typically at the C-suite are either um, people that have identical experience in the same industry or are recruited and are referred by other executives. And I just didn't have that. I didn't want to go back into payments. I just didn't like the industry. And so I, I didn't have that circle to really support me um, in that vein. And I found applying for jobs, just doing the resume game and sending them out, was I just didn't have a great batting average. Mm-hmm. And so I, what jobs I did get, I, I, I got a job at an employee engagement company uh, as a salesperson. I was a really bad salesperson. Really? I just didn't. Uh, the product was difficult, and I just I was not turned on by it. It wasn't that I couldn't sell. It was yeah. just that it wasn't I wasn't excited about the product. And, and the company was not interested in really having their salespeople empowered enough to make decisions. They wanted you to sell what they had, which is probably what you want in a successful company. wasn't for me. And so I was a really bad employee. And I realized through that experience that I, I had to make something work. And I just had – I know it sounds cliche, and it's sort of – you have to be cynical when you hear this, but you just have this – this I, I decided this is what I was going to do, and I knew it was right. I knew the market would work, and I had a lot of validation from conversations of people that I trusted, and just it was just something I believed in, and I never let it go. I knew, I knew that I had the right people around me. I knew I recruited the right people. I knew that the market was huge. Um, and eventually, we would figure out how to get to get funding. Mm, that's awesome. So now, you know, you you've gotten funding. You recently won uh, the uh, Rise of the Rest competition. Congratulations on that. Um, so, where do you see Freight Waves? Obviously, it's a quick moving thing. Last October, you didn't even see media necessarily as part of it. But what's what's on the roadmap? What's coming uh, for for Freight Waves? You know, I, I think for us, it's scaling, um, providing more fundamental data. Uh, you know, we're able to launch a new data set nearly every day. We're launching some type of new data series. Uh, the way that our, our team has engineered the architecture of the system, it allows for rapid deployment of new data sets, which is really unusual. Uh, it's, it's a similar architecture that if you looked at a Bloomberg terminal or something on Wall Street, it would be very similar where they can launch a new data series. Uh, and architecturally, it's built to do rapid response. And so for us, I think we want to continue to provide, be the voice of the freight markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, it's trucking. We've now expanded beyond trucking into some maritime and rail. Uh, we're, we're global. We opened a Singapore office. We're opening an office in Australia. We're, wow. we're working uh, with a firm in South Africa. So it's taking this business model and and uh, taking it global, and that's really the goal. Wow, it's huge. So as part of that, or maybe in, in separate, I'm not sure you can explain, but uh, you also have this blockchain in transportation Alliance? Is that that, yeah, Bitta. So Bitta, yeah. the Blockchain and Transport, Transport. Alliance okay. um, is – so one of the things that um, that we found is 
we, you know, our news outlet did start in March. It wasn't something that was really core to our business plan until, you know, really October. And it was better that I actually realized how valuable that asset was. Mm. Because, you know, the thing that you mentioned, um, venture capitalists don't want to invest in media businesses. They're, they're, they're not VC investable businesses. And the reason is that there's very little uh, barrier to entry. There's very little moats around it. Um, anybody with, with really any set of skills can go start a media business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's it's difficult to, to do it. But what we realized is, so we started writing a lot about blockchain and how it impacts transportation. And we were getting phone calls from large companies in the space that said, hey, it's a really interesting article you wrote about uh, blockchain, but there are no standards and there's no body that's kind of regulating these things. There really needs to be a, bo- a standards body. And so um, we we had some conversations and uh, had some had one firm, uh, McLeod Computing uh, Software, McLeod Software out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, one of their executives and I started talking about creating this alliance, and we did. And we thought we'll get 20 companies in a year to sign up for the blockchain and transport li- blockchain and trucking alliance at the time. And we announced that we had 60 companies apply within the first week. And now we're over 3,000 companies have applied. We've got about uh, 460 members, representing about $1.6 trillion. And we realized within the first week this was a massive opportunity. It was a huge opportunity because there was all this interest around what blockchain meant for the industry and where it could potentially take things. And um, we we found through that that there was a desire of, of companies inside of transportation to get a handle on tech innovations. And and they were looking for leadership to help address, whether it was blockchain or more broadly defined technology uh, standards, they were looking for a standards body that could help solve, to bring companies together to create standards and help help them commercialize uh, the technology uh, frameworks. And so so that's really what BIT is all about, is really it's an organization that brings companies together. It you know We have companies as big as Daimler and UPS and FedEx and, um, you know, the, you know, JB Hunt, the BNSF, and just large corporations. We have shippers uh, uh, like JD.com, uh, which is the, the Chinese e-commerce company. It's bigger than Amazon in terms of total throughput. And so we've had a lot of success of bringing uh, companies connected to the freight ecosystem to come be a part of Bitta mm-hmm. and really help uh, uh, construct the future of the industry. And that's what Bitta is all about. But what that taught us, and this is where we really realized that if you could take something as obscure as blockchain and as new as blockchain, and the Freightways media outlet was able to drive the kind of interest that it did, because Bitta is the largest commercial blockchain alliance in the world as an industry. And we realized that that voice was being very respected. And so we really we really doubled down on our media assets and really put a lot of resources into our media outlet. And that's kind of what's called Freightwaves. Being Freightwaves.com. That, that was that was your main distribution channel. That was our main. That's what built Beta. Yeah. I mean, Freightwaves.com yeah. built Beta, and what it's become is, you know, we were probably at those uh, uh, in those days getting a hundred thousand page views a month. Uh, we're now getting about one point five million. Um, but what's interesting is, we're now the largest original source of transportation news and content. So what we're finding is. Uh, firms like Reuters and Wall Street Journal and Morningstar are using freight waves as an original source wow. of data and, and commentary. And so that's got to be wild it. from your perspective. It's completely to, wild to, to see your it, thing out in the, you know, 
Well, it never, I never would have, I mean, I got C's in English. I, I, my professors, <laughs> I write on our site some. And, um, and so I never would have, if you'd asked me two years ago, or even a year and a half ago, if I thought I would be in the media business, say, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and so it is, it's wild because what you think you're going in business for one thing and you set out to do, you're actually, there's opportunities right. uh, abound in other areas. So with, with the blockchain, I just want to have some curiosity around that personally. Uh, when it comes to blockchain when it's used for industry specific to your industry or even general general generally um what are we talking about are we talking about because like people are used you know a year ago everybody was excited about bitcoin and ethereum and then they've obviously tumbled a little bit are we talking about that are we talking about a, a different tokenized uh or a token that you you guys uh see developing for industry or is it something more like a privatized blockchain more similar to a database and you know what are the applications for someone listening um from a blockchain perspective to a, a specific industry yeah so you got to keep in mind that there are hundreds of different frameworks around blockchain and, and maybe in the thousands now when you add all the uh, ethereum tokens that are out there the challenge is that um companies are pursuing their own paths there are a uh, crypto based tokens that are uh, trying to raise capital to to create this tradable currency. Uh, there are companies that are using uh, Hyperledger fr framework to create uh, a technology. And so there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of investment. Mm -hmm. um, we are not doing that. We're not doing any of that. Bitta doesn't do any of that. All Bitta does is, is it's an advocacy organization in the sense to bring people together to advocate for the technology and talk about how standards and data formats should communicate with one another. So, okay. so in other words, if you may be on, on an Ethereum token and I may be on Hyperledger, but we should be able to do business with one another or at least try to uh, solve the same uh, outcomes. You may be a, a rival software company to my software company, but I should be, as I transfer data, I should be able to have uh, benefit from the same um, uh, data formats and, and uh, achieve the same goals. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that participants, um, when they're actually using the technology, shouldn't have to read source code to understand what the technology does. They should be able to intuitively look at that and say that works. And think of it, the analogy I would use for people that aren't familiar with a lot of technology formats is, is Bluetooth. I can have my Bose headset Bluetooth, my watch, and my Samsung headset work with my phone, and they're all going to work together using the same technology framework, right. the technology standard completely manufactured by completely different companies. And so that's the idea of when we talk about standards, it's, it's, it's the standardization, it's the way you format data to interact with uh, other data. So, so in theory, at least, maybe not actually doing the, the work, but you're talking or having the conversations to be able to build APIs you know, for regular technology, but within this new ecosystem. That's correct. Yeah, I so mean, the power of blockchain is not to replace the organic technology. It's right. not to replace what already the incumbent technology. It's to work over the top of all of that. Mm -hmm. It's to to basically, um, you know, it, in my in the way I think of blockchain is is what blockchain does is it records the truth of what it, it it's 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 immutable once it's coded into it. So it can't. It doesn't know the quality of the data. The source data could be could be junk. Mm -hmm. It's still going to record the junk. And so what blockchain does is it, it keeps a permanent record of what was recorded, but doesn't ensure that the quality of the data was actually high quality to come into. 
But what Bit is trying to do is ensure that people that do write into the blockchains that are chosen by the industry broadly uh, are done in a way that creates high-quality data. So when I look at that, when I know that that information has been recorded, I have a way to interpret the quality of that data. From... Whose perspective in this? I, I, because I, and I may be just naive in this, but I thought that the idea behind the blockchain is that the individual blocks would be able to make that determination. They make on. so that's 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 the big that's the big issue. Okay, is as long as the information inside of the blockchain, the blocks chain, the blocks ensure that the data inside the blockchain have not been manipulated oh, once I they're see. in there. The problem is to take something physical. So so let's take um, let's take wood as an example. So uh, lumber liquidators five years ago got in trouble for formaldehyde. They had wood flooring and they were putting high de- high levels of formaldehyde in their flooring. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the California regulators came out and said there's too much formaldehyde, and they wanted there was all these lawsuits to rip off all these floors, and they were sourcing it from Chinese manufacturers. Then Chinese manufacturers were giving them low quality wood. Uh, lumber liquidators are claiming that wasn't the case, and there was these discussions or suggestions that maybe something had been nefarious, and maybe it was the suppliers that had mixed up the quality of goods. So what lumber liquidators was buying was actually not represented in what they were receiving. In other words, the actual product had been switched in transport, um, or alternatively, what they thought they were buying was not what they were getting, or they knew what they were getting. And so the problem is nobody knows. Yeah. So. So if you think of how blockchain would prevent that, what blockchain would do is it would tell you forensically where along the supply chain the formaldehyde wood showed up. In other words, what it would do is say, we know that lumber liquidators bought wood that was high quality and met standards, but this supplier altered that and provided high formaldehyde wood. Or it would say, the purchase of low or I'd say high quality wood was correct. It was transported some, by some location in China. And when it got to a warehouse in Shenzhen, China, it was switched out for high quality wood was switched out for low quality wood. And what happened is there was a switch in that. Well, you have to have some way that the IoT data, mm-hmm. the data that, that determines that, because the wood itself is not in the blockchain, it's a right. physical good. You have to have some way that the data itself uh, is transmitting the quality of the wood to make sure that the um, the skews and the and the, uh, the 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 PO numbers are matching up to what's been ordered. I Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to know that the information itself has not been altered. The blockchain will not change a physical product. Right. What it will tell you is has the information from the moment it's been created been altered after the fact, and that's what blockchain is all about. Gotcha. Thanks for explaining that. It's fascinating. So that's a whole other thing, Bitta, uh, and, and you yeah, Bitta is just a community organization. Yeah. So our job at Bitta is to encourage companies to commercialize technology mm-hmm. and to talk through issues. So if you take the Bitta board, you have UPS and FedEx, two companies that uh, shouldn't be lost on anybody. How much they compete and I don't know. They hate each other is probably not the right <laughs> word, but they they have they have a mutual amount of respect and distrust or dislike of one another. Right. I mean, that's a that's a it's the Coke Pepsi issue, right? UPS FedEx, and so they're very aggressive. But what's awesome about it is these two companies that have a natural reason to not want to work together because they compete are actually coming together to solve issues. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, okay, take address ledgers for an example. 
Um, this is an issue that plagues every transportation company in the world, is how do I know that, that when I ordered something, that the address that you're going to, that I, that product's going to, is a residential or commercial address? Or how do I even know that you formatted the address correctly? And so the problem is both UPS and FedEx have thousands of people that do nothing but address verification separately. Mm -hmm. Why can't they share the data? Mm -hmm. Why can't they say, we know this is the same location? And in order to affect a smart contract, a smart contract basically is a piece of technology, a blockchain technology that executes upon an event. If I'm going to have a smart contract that self-executes and it's address specific, I need to make sure when I'm executing that smart contract that I know I'm going to the right place. That that, that freight showed up at the correct place. And, I, and, I, and it should be regardless of whether it was a purple truck or a brown truck or a yellow truck, it shouldn't matter. I should be able to trust the outcome. And the idea is that both UPS and FedEx and all these transportation companies are coming together to talk about address standards, um, things like that. Yeah, so just community uh, conversations for the betterment of the entire community. No. Yeah, so in many ways, uh, BETA is the United Nations, the WTO of freight. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's technology. awesome. And so that's, that's what really BETA is about. And we... The nice thing about Beta is is you, you have all these really awesome major companies and small companies, early stage startups coming together to talk through these issues. And we are, you know, we're developing out the community. We run the community, uh, which means we're taking resources from our broader Freightwaves uh, 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 brand and putting it into the community. Uh, we get asked by other organizations how we don't charge a lot to be a part of Beta. Um, $2,500 a year for UPS and FedEx. And they ask, how do you support that? And so, because we're able to draw upon resources and it's complementary to what we already do because mm -hmm. a lot of, in these advocacy organizations, what you're actually doing is providing education, content, sure. providing information. We're an information services business. On the other side as well, yeah. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on everything you've, you've got uh, in the last uh, several years of, of success here at Freeways and Bitta. Um, before we, we close, what are you really excited about and uh, what should people be on the lookout from, from you and from the team? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I think transportation is going through this massive, you know, it certainly is a, a far more important industry just in Chattanooga. Uh, it's a far more important industry as you look at the next couple of decades, whether we're talking autonomous vehicles, drones, talking about the uh, effect of e-commerce and Amazon, Amazon and Uberization on the overall economy. Transportation is a part of our lives. And it's gone from this really boring, old-school uh, uh, industry to this really high-powered, sexy industry where a lot of innovation is taking place. And I think uh, as it relates to the impact uh, on our local economy here in Chattanooga, it's going to, I think Chattanooga has an opportunity to play a big part in that. And I think it's going to take leadership from both the community side of it, the corporate side of it, and uh, the uh, government side of it to really encourage and, and uh, develop that ecosystem. And so we want to be a part of that. Um, we will continue to scale our business globally, and we want to help write the um, uh, the byline for what happens. Cool. Fascinating watching you. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Big, big, big thanks to Craig for joining the show. Big thanks to you all, the, the true goats, the true... MVPs, as I should say, for listening to this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we have been ramping up some content over on Stratfire.com. If you're interested in B2B marketing, how to grow your business, uh, and, and the like, I hope you guys will go check us out over there. Otherwise, we will be back next week with a new, brand new episode for you. In the meantime, you guys keep on hustling and get started.